Welcome to the Boredom Breakers podcast, where we don't know half of you half as well as we should like, and we like less than half of you half as well as you should deserve. I am Ian. I'm here with my co-hosts, Tanner and Jeremy, and we have a special guest star today, Andrew Lackey. (laughs) Sorry. Andrew, what? Andrew, why don't you introduce yourself because we didn't have your bio prepped. Tell us about yourself and how people can find you and your and your stuff. Sure, no problem. It's uh, my bio is pretty simple. I'm a uh, name's Andrew Lackey, of course, and uh, I manage a blog called Knowing the Invisible, uh, which I started about midsummer last year, and uh, I post on it uh, on occasion every few weeks or so. Uh, I'm trying to get some more regular posts on there, but uh, currently I am a, a theology student studying at Puritan Reformed Theological uh, Seminary, where I'm working for my uh, theological masters, and so that tends to take up most of my time uh, alongside working full time. And uh, but that's knowingtheinvisible.com. That's for my blog site. You can should pull it up straight up if you type that in. Uh, but otherwise, my interest is ultimately theology, but I've also have had a long uh, side interest in philosophy, and namely the relation between philosophy and theology, and uh, approaching philosophy from a Christian uh, biblical perspective. Awesome. That's good. And that, that actually kind of leads into the quote of the week there, because you talked about philosophy from a, a Christian perspective, I think. And so the quote this week is from the book, We Are All Philosophers by John M. Frame, a Christian introduction to seven fundamental questions. And he says that one should not attempt to do philosophy without biblical presuppositions. I do not believe that philosophy can or should be religiously neutral. So the idea is, okay, like, if you're going to do philosophy, you got to you, you might as well start by saying God exists. Um, and you, you really can't go the other way around. You can't say, well, I'm a philosopher and um, maybe God exists, but I'm going to try to, actually, I'm going to try to disprove God with my philosophy would actually be a, a foolish way to go about it. So that's kind of the, the quote of the week. And what are your guys' thoughts on that? It's, it's like, I mean, it's, it's like trying to disprove football by playing a football game. Like, <laughs> you have to step into that, that, yeah. uh, that standpoint, that viewpoint mm-hmm. in order to fight it. So it's, I mean, it's just a kind of ridiculous to try to disprove, um, disprove theology with philosophy. At right. least that's what I've, my initial thought. Okay. Anybody else? Well, you know, I've always, uh, I think it actually, my brother usually puts it this way and I've always kind of liked it. Um, that we've all got to start somewhere, but we can't start anywhere. And so the idea being that, you know, with the idea of doing philosophy neutral, that there is no such thing because we've all got, we all have a starting point. Yep. And yet we also realize that not every starting point is equally good. And in our case, we believe that it's, you know, word of God or scripture Mm -hmm. that is the proper and superior starting point. Okay. Um, I, I know I asked you, I kind of threw a list of questions at you in advance, and the only one I can think of right now, and so you guys can maybe pick up after this, is um, if you had the choice between teaching philosophy 
to Christians or teaching theology to non-Christians? Which would you choose and why? You know, I would, uh, I think I would probably te teach philosophy to Christians uh, because that's kind of what I'm already doing and mm. what I'm already trying to do. Uh, my primary reason is that you know, I want to see the church edified. Yeah. And so, you know, the church being the kingdom of God is kind of like, I want, you know, that's the ultimate thing to invest my time and resources into. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of why, why I do everything. However, with that said, uh, I would also love the opportunity one day to maybe teach theology to some open-minded philosophers and uh, cool. kind of get their response to some things. That's a good idea. Yeah, I like um, you know teaching one um, philosopher theology would be a, a great idea to see where it went from there. But being able to teach a whole church full of Christians philosophy would would help to to maybe strengthen their mindset in their faith. Um, of course, you know our our salvation in Christ is based on our faith in Christ through grace. Grace through faith. But having a philosophical mindset does help in our apologetic, which would be good if, if more Christians had a, a more of a, an apologetic mindset. They'd be able to have more, hopefully, loving and intelligent conversations with non-believers. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I think uh, being able to have more of a conversation um, between believers and non-believers, or at least, pre I mean, because that's kind of the idea, you want to educate believers uh, so that they can turn around and be able to interact with the unbelievers concerning their own philosophical presuppositions. All about equipping that, equipping believers to to bridge the gap. At least exactly. Think. Right. What would you say is a modern philosophy that is dangerous in the Christian church? Oh man, you know that. That's a, I mean, there's many philosophies, I think, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, that could be dangerous. Um, I think any philosophy that jeopardizes the authority of Scripture or God's Word as our starting point should be, uh, is obviously going to be uh, somewhat of a danger. Because the, you know, the old theologians understood that Scripture... You know, it's faith-seeking understanding. Oftentimes we believe the testimony of Scripture by faith, by the witness of the Holy Spirit, and in time we seek to understand it. And in fact, Paul tells hmm. Timothy uh, in the book of First Timothy that, you know, meditate or consider my words carefully and the Lord will give you understanding in all things, which is a spectacular promise. Mm -hmm. But we have to start with Scripture. We have to consider it carefully uh, before we can uh, achieve that promise, I guess. Yeah. And so I think any philosophy that tries to undercut Scripture and tries to build another foundation to Scripture, I think is uh, potentially risky. Yeah. Is there anything specific that you've noticed that, that might be really damaging? I think there's a, 
specifically, I guess there's also a tendency within the church towards irrationalism, hmm. uh, which is interesting to me because it's, it almost goes the opposite direction where it's maybe in their attempt to honor the word of God, they, they depreciate reason so much that they don't almost don't even use it or they almost come off almost condescending towards using reason and theology. Yeah. I've heard the, the quote before, well, God said it and I believe it. So that settles it. And I'm like, right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I agree to a point that we do have to trust God and not man, but God said it and I believe it. That settles it means we're not willing to, I think like, like you said, Paul told Timothy to, you know, what was it? Consider my words to think about these things. And it'll, you know, if, if, if all we say is God said it and I believe it. So that settles it. What we're saying is we're not willing to think about it anymore either. It's almost like we're, we're, we're saying, yeah, I trust God, but I'm lazy in my faith. (laughs) Yeah. It's like a, I think like immediately of like a teacher teaching a student and, and, and they're working on, on some sort of material and the student can, can spit everything back, all the information and recite it, but there's no understanding there. Right. There's no willingness to understand. Yeah. Well, I think too, like I think of Augustine and I, it's in, I believe it's in his confessions where he tells the story of someone who asked the question you know, what was God doing before he created the world? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was supposed to be a challenge to the Christian faith because it, it gets into the idea of, you know, if God is if God is everlasting, then you essentially have God doing something for infinite time. So how does he ever get to the point of actually creating the world? And Augustine has his way of answering that. But for our, I guess, our purposes, what I found interesting is that he he responded or he makes note of someone who responded to this questioner by making kind of the sarcastic comments, you know, you know, well, God, you know, what was God doing before he created the world? Well, he was creating a place in hell for people who ask such questions. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Oof, yeah. What I like about Augustine is he kind of, he doesn't appreciate that answer. And he says, you know, I would rather tell that person, I don't know. Sure. And mm-hmm. make him into a laughing stock. And yeah. so it's like he recognizes the importance of asking deep and hard questions about the Christian faith uh, to the point that he would rather say, I don't know, rather mm-hmm. than just making a mockery out of them. Sure. Now, of course, Gustin goes on and does answer the question by arguing that time itself is a part of creation. Therefore, it's really not. Sure. Uh, proper to ask what was God doing before creation because that assumes that time existed before creation which I, is itself a part of creation and I think the triune nature of God also helps to answer that because it's not like it, it, I think um, Unitarians would have a diff, more difficult time answering that because God being three in one well the Father has always had the Son the Son has always had the Father the Father they've always had the Holy Spirit like there, there's always been community within the Trinity. There, it's not like they were bored. Um, and and again, like you said, time itself didn't exist before creation. So, the three in one, eternally existing, 
whatever eternity means again if it's apart from time then i don't think we can even fully grasp it that that's where i would say well i don't know i don't even i can't explain eternity to you i don't know we're not mm -hmm. we only know temporal things because we exist within time but god having relationship within the the godhead you know was whatever he did you know before time he did within himself and that almost see I, I think i get too lost sometimes and when i am i thinking that i start to say something that maybe sounds stupid so maybe it is best just to say i don't know <laughs> well i think it's humble i mean it's if when you don't know the answer it's best just to say you don't <laughs> you yeah. don't know right. um, you know but you know with starting this blog knowing the invisible.com i you know one of my hopes is to try to you know help people think through some of those difficult topics like for example well how do you think of god and time given that there is no before time you right. know for god it almost seems like this circular dilemma you put yourself in when you say that time had a beginning and so my hope is to one day you know and i, I mean obviously i'm not the first one there's many philosophers uh, who have written on the subject of time i mean going back to augustine and so my hope is to kind of you know, bring some of that information like light and to help people think more clearly about mm -hmm. how eternity relates to time, mm. among other things. Good. So something that I was thinking about earlier, Andrew, is there, do you find yourself having a difficult time? Like, are there a lot of um, philosophy students that come from a Christian background? And is that is that difficult to sort of, you know, converse in and find community in, or is that fairly prevalent? You know, from what I uh, understand, uh, there is a great deal of evangelical philosophers uh, right now. Um, you know, within just the, fact, the last few decades, there's been kind of this resurgence of evangelical philosophy. Mm -hmm. Um although there seems to me to be kind of a divide between, say, philosophy and theology in the sense that when you go to seminary, there's not a whole lot of discussion of philosophy in the seminary classroom. Interesting. Uh, they'll refer to philosophy, they'll talk about it a little bit, but they never really get into it. And hmm. so there's, in my mind, there's kind of a chasm between academic philosophy and academic theology that hasn't always existed. I mean, you go back in the Middle Ages or even earlier, you know, the old theologians were very well trained in philosophy and they were very familiar with the philosophical uh, dogmas that were going back and forth. Mm. And uh, for whatever reason, we've just, we've lost that in our modern era. Uh, there's, there's a huge divide between the seminaries and the philosophy classroom. I think also not just, you know, a deep philosophy of thinking, but also a, a real honest um, boldness to just say, yeah, this is what the Bible says and, and I'm not going to be embarrassed by it. Because I consider Paul in Athens in Acts chapter 17, Paul was willing to go um, where all the Greek thinkers and philosophers of his time were having their grand Greek philosophy conversations. And he went and said, you know, talking about the unknown God that you need to repent. He, you know, he was patient, but now he's calling all men everywhere to repent. And he proved this by raising the man Jesus from the dead. 
And at the end, it's like, well, some some just dismissed him. Some were converted and some were like, you know what? I want to talk to you again tomorrow. This is a this is a worthwhile conversation to pick up again. And so in philosophy, there there are some who are smarter than me, who are non-believers, who will be able to throw out conversations that are that are just going to be way beyond me, whether it's science or um, philosophy or anything in the, in that area. And I might look stupid, but I can still say, well, God is still being patient and he's giving you time to repent. And Jesus really did rise from the dead, whether you believe it or not. And maybe they'll just dismiss me. That's not my call, though. <laughs> mm. Right. And I think there's something to be said, too, about, you know, when you go out into the, the world like that, you know, you don't want to be trying to, you know, prove yourself to the world, I guess. Sure. That's... You, know, you, you want to you want to be intelligent, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you want to be able to communicate, but at the same time, you don't want to be trying to meet their standards sure. or trying to get their attention. Right. Uh, but rather, just you know, preach the truth. Even when it comes to philosophy, there's a lot to say for humility. I would agree, definitely. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's helpful for me. <laughs> it's it's you helpful. Can, you rest easy. Yeah, you know, like, oh, maybe I should be more humble because I know that it'll work or it'll at least serve its purpose. Right. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Should we throw out another quote or come up with another question? Well, allow me to be humble yeah. for a moment. Um, I... Uh, uh, I guess I, I'm definitely like probably the dumb one of all of us. <laughs> so most of this is, is kind of going over my head, but um, I do know that, um, you know, a lot, a lot of Christians are kind of afraid of the, the tougher questions, you know, and um, it, even a lot of, I feel like pastors or whatever, are almost upset that you would ask them a tough question. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of feel like, those questions need to be asked, but I definitely don't think anyone should be afraid of them. Like if they're afraid of those questions, then where is your faith to begin with? I mean, if you don't think God can handle a few tough questions, then where are you at? You know? Right. I don't think you're the dumb one in the group. In fact, that was very insightful. I didn't have that insight. So that's (laughs) that's helpful. So I think what you're saying is the church, particular, particularly pastors, need to create an environment in which it is safe to ask questions, safe to ask tough questions, and and I almost want to say inappropriate questions, like questions that you maybe would be afraid to ask. But a pastor needs to just be an open book with that, and and a pastor also needs to be able to say, "I don't know." Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, feels like a lot of them are afraid to say they don't know. Mm. But, I mean, I don't... To me, it makes them a real person, you know? Yeah. Hmm. I think that that's goes back... Go ahead, Andrew. It's what I, yeah, it's what I find so encouraging about Augustine, I guess, in his boldness. <laughs> to, I would rather say I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, than to shut the person down. And I think if you can... If you can just accept that and, you know, ahead of time being able to say, you know, I'll say I don't know if I don't know, it probably takes away a lot of the fear 
mm-hmm. of being asked difficult questions. Um, if you go in hoping to be able to answer every single difficult question that someone asks, then, then you likely will be intimidated. Yeah, I think it's also, if possible, I mean, I, I think the I don't know is perfectly relevant. I know we're kind of circling back around it again, but I I think not to land on I don't know, but say, but I don't know, but I'm willing to look into it. Now, not to, right. say, not to say I'm willing to find out because you won't always find out, but I don't know, but I'm willing to look into it and then maybe give you some feedback if you don't mind following up mm-hmm. with me one of these days. Like I, I'll get back to you and let you know what I find out. And maybe the answer still is I don't know, but maybe it's like, hey, guess what I found out when I looked into this? Exactly. Or even say, rather than saying I don't know, you could just say I'm working on that, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> yeah. That's a really good question. I've asked that myself. So what do you think about it? Put, put, put the question back around on them. You know, and that's, I, I've thought about that before because you know how a lot of times atheists will say, if God is good or if God created the world originally without sin or you know, something like that, starting with that point, if God is good, then why is there so much evil in the world? And that is not a question that belongs only to Christians. You could flip it around. If billions and billions and billions of years ago nothing existed and something exploded, then why is there evil in the world? Like they, mm-hmm. they, they, they have right. to answer that question too. It's not just a question for Christians to answer, although we do have answers to that. You could, you could ask that question of Hindus too. You could, I mean, that, there's evil in the world. We all agree on that. What's your reason for it? You're asking me if God is good, why is there evil in the world? I'm asking you if billions and billions of years ago nothing existed and, and there's really no meaning or purpose in this world, then why does evil exist? Mm. Are there other questions? Or what, what, what in philosophy would, would you say dictates the fact that one question would have to exist in all different worldviews? Do you get what I'm asking there, Andrew? Like, it, does philosophy give an answer for the reason why one single question would have to fit within all worldviews? Uh, I'm not sure I understand the question. Okay. I don't know either where I'm getting that, going with it. I'm just, like, is, is there a field in, in philosophy that has to deal with that? I know in, in theology it's called the, the problem of, it, it's theonomy, right? Like, the problem of pain, the problem of suffering, um, Christians and theolo- theologists, <laughs> theologians. Wow, like I shouldn't even be here. <laughs> Ian, you're definitely not the dumbest one in the group. Um, so theologians have to deal with theonomy, right? Um, but like I just said, every worldview has to still give an answer to that question, even though it seems like only the religious are the ones that are challenged with it, specifically Christians. But even if Christians knew... Um, like like Ian was saying, there's we need to be able to create an environment where Christians can be comfortable asking questions. Even if Christians knew that we're not the only ones that have to answer those questions, that maybe would help in like, oh, you just challenged me with a question. Wait a minute, a second. Am I allowed to ask you the same question? I think even if Christians could start with that point and like, am I allowed to ask you the same question? That would maybe help them to get more comfortable with formulating a response. Right. And so, I think it exposes a lot of uh, potential double standards hmm. uh, that the world raises. You know, when you realize that you can turn a lot of the same questions around Yeah, you well, know, to the opponents. Yeah, another one I heard too was a lot of times atheists will say, 
Um, you're only a Christian because you were born in the United States. So you, were, you, you were brought up with a Christian family in the United States. If you were born in the Middle East, you would be a Muslim. Right. And that that always that for a time that used to bother me like, well, first of all, I know that's not true. And I have some responses to it. But then I, I was somebody had given me the answer once. Well, so they're an atheist. Tell them that if they were born in the Middle East, they wouldn't be an atheist. They would be a Muslim. Like it's right. the same thing. Exactly. Like <laughs> A lot of the questions like that or a lot of the challenge challenges like that. It's like, well, put the shoe on the other foot because guess what? It still fits. <laughs> yeah. And ultimately, it's it doesn't need, it's not even a relevant you know critique. Right. You know what it? I mean, it doesn't matter how you or how you came to be a Christian per se. It's, mm-hmm. If the question is, is Christianity true? Right. How you actually got there isn't really relevant to answering that question. Right. So it's kind of a red herring in that sense. Yep. Any other thoughts or questions? We could be wrapping things up here. Uh, in a little bit, we're we're at twenty five minutes, so we got we got a little bit of time. Unless we're anything, we want to work through. All right, Andrew, any closing thoughts? No, uh, other than just uh, thank you for having me on here, guys. Oh, absolutely, yeah. no, Thanks yeah, for joining us. Yeah, really we appreciate it. And um, we'll we'll send people your way again. Like Andrew said, it's what, what's your website, Andrew? KnowingTheInvisible.com knowingtheinvisible.com go check it out you can uh, is it the same as subscribe i know you can sign up for the newsletter i actually get email um emails sent to me from you so it's pretty helpful just to log in there and um so go check it out um tanner anything else i don't think so ian go ahead and close us out yeah well, that's 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 exactly right christians well, should ask more questions of their leaders and and of themselves sometimes and think, do I really believe what I believe and why do I believe it? Yeah, so. and non-believers ask questions too. Yeah. Okay. All right, thanks for joining us. Um, if you weren't bored, please uh, subscribe. If you're a little bit less dumb, please uh, tell your friends and like us and help us get some more followers. Yeah, and don't forget to share and share Ian's, or not Ian's, share Andrew's page as well. So go go log into that and share with your friends and we will see you guys next week. God bless.